Hi, welcome to Free Will Science and Religion. I'm Mitch J. I'm here with Chandler Clubs and George Ortega. Today we're going to talk about uh, the link between free will and intelligence. Do you have to be smart to understand the issue? Do really smart people, do the great thinkers that we revere, have they come to that hard deterministic conclusion that the hosts of this show uh, have come to? So we're going to discuss um, all the different ways in which free will is related to intelligence. So, George, do you want to start? Because you said something uh, really interesting in a yeah, previous I start, podcast. I, I would start off by saying that this question is a very powerful, very simple one-question intelligence test. Um, because there's, there's two kinds of, there's several kinds of intelligences that people kind of like succeed in life with. One, I think, of probably the strongest, perhaps, is like social intelligence. In other words, um, people understand um, other people, they understand emotions and all, and that leads people to succeed. But the other two, I think, the relative to this are a lot of times our school system, our education system is geared not toward understanding things, you know, but toward remembering them and then being able to retrieve what we've learned and apply it in tests and apply it in certain circumstances and maybe then teach it. So like I have a feeling that most people who we deem intelligent are good at that skill, but that, that's a very, very different skill than basic logic. Because you know this free will thing is about logic. It tests logic. So I can't think of any stronger way that's more simple, more powerful to differentiate truly logically intelligent people from people who are claiming to be intelligent, posing as intelligent and all, but they just maybe have like great memories, but aren't really that logically intelligent. I think it's a powerful test for that. Well, George, that begs the question then. So is free will a difficult issue to understand? No, not, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, like, again, like we either, you know, free will, you know, things are either up to us, you know, we, we decide what we do, or something that's not us decides, makes us, you know, is making this decision for us. I don't think that's, that's complicated. I'm not, you know, I can't see the complication there. Well, yeah, so I was, uh, I remarked before uh, the start of this podcast uh, to George, I was, uh, I was saying that from my experience, when I discuss um, the issue of free will uh, with people, um, I come across uh, different types uh, there, there are many people who it takes a little while for them to understand the issue because it's a new thing that they haven't really thought about. Perhaps, they, perhaps they've invoked free will their whole lives or they don't usually invoke it maybe once in a while, but they've never really thought about whether or not it's true. And so it's difficult for them to overcome their personal biases or perhaps they are afraid of the consequences of living in a universe without free will. That's one issue. But another another type of people that I've another group of people that I've encountered are people who are constantly confusing free will with freedom, like uh, political freedom. Or in the past, we've talked about voluntary versus involuntary actions. And despite my best efforts, uh, I've had to give up because they've lacked an ability to understand the issue. So. George, if you say um, understanding free will is a good barometer of a person's intelligence, then I'm, I'm saying that seems to suggest that you have to be intelligent to get the idea. So maybe people who are not as intelligent can't Mitch, figure ab it out. Absolutely. So in other words, like, yes, there's levels of intelligence. If you can't even get the, the, um, 
the question, no, I, I don't think we can like, you know, rationally describe a person like that as intelligent. I actually had a friend of mine, he had a PhD in biblical studies. He could not understand the question. So the, the next, sev- next level is like, all right, fine, you, you, <laughs> you understand the question. The next level is you get it right. And the third level of, it, of um, intelligence in this, I think, is that not only do you get it right, but you understand the profound significance of getting it right to our entire world. Right. So, so just to be clear, we're on the same page. We're not, we're not saying this is a difficult issue to understand and smart people get it and stupid people don't. We're saying this issue is not as difficult as it really seems. There may be some people who can't get past a certain barrier, but the difficulty is not that high. What, what do you think, Chandler? Well, you know what I think is I think that the topic itself, the question of free will, is not in itself difficult, but that a lot of people might be intelligent enough to understand it, but not necessarily intelligent enough to explain it to others. Interesting, interesting. Could you elaborate on that when you say it's not, not intelligent enough to explain it to others? Yeah. Um, see, here's how I here's how I think about it. I think a lot of people they convolute it because you know I've read philosophical stuff on websites. I, I've read books that just goes on and on and on that, and yet I don't have a clue what they're talking about. But then I come across you know somebody who you know like George Ortega, his two step refutation just completely just sums it up so clearly that I can get it because I had read about the topic before but didn't understand it Um, and I just think that it has to be concise and just simple very small because you know most people they when they're introduced to a new topic they don't sit down and you know like for example um, I didn't sit down and read the origin of species to learn about evolution no, no, that's intimidating, you know. Instead, it was slow little pieces of information just that just slowly hit me at one time where I got a concept that I could understand in one or two minutes. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Everything has a cause, you know. And once you – because a lot of people don't even agree to that premise. So once you get that – and so that's how it worked for me is I just – you know, I had to get, oh, yeah, there's – these two ways, causality and a causality, and neither one makes it up to the person. So yeah, I I get that now, but I I didn't get it that quickly. I had to have it explained in a very simple way. But now that I understand it, it's it's easy to get. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, there are some people that I've encountered, I mean, well, a handful of people, who you know. Uh, at first, they didn't understand the issue. Then after um, lengthy conversation, they got it. And eventually, they even started to agree. So so certainly, from my own experience, I've seen that it is possible. When I say people, I don't mean like uh, PhDs. I just mean ordinary people, but I guess relatively smart people. Maybe people who have gone to college or graduated from high school or something. But I, I do not want to suggest this is an elitist thing, that this is an academic thing. You know, so um, Chandler, clearly, you know, one of the ways you picked up these pieces of information was because of the Internet, right? There's this proliferation of, of information. So, so I was re- remarking uh, off air about how some parallels between the new atheism movement 
and the investigation of the issue of free will in that I think it's more digestible for people now more than ever. I think a lot of contemporary writers such as George and Sam Harris and others are making a concerted effort to say this is an important issue. It's not that difficult to understand. Here, allow me to try to convince you for a few moments. And that's like one of the goals um, that we all have, right? Yeah, and, and that's one of the um, very important aspects of our work. Yeah, like, for example, with evolution, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, we have to take it on faith that the scientists know what they're doing or with, with astronomy, you know, like how many miles away is the sun from the earth and all or all these things or whether the fact that, that we're rotating, revolving around the sun instead of vice versa. To a certain extent, these things are beyond the, the knowledge, the, the expertise of many of us. But this question does not in any manner fit under that category. This is, this is a question that I'm guessing a second grader could understand, you know, without any previous like knowledge of science, of, of you know, education or any, of anything. And, and so th it's important because like, you know, I think what, what we're finding is that like, you know, the people who are running this world, who we're looking, we're looking up to as academics, as, as leaders of our, you know, intelligence, whatever, just to, until the intelligence sector, they are just not very bright. And that's, that's a bit, you know, concerning. <laughs> well, do, do you, do you really think it's that they're not bright or do you think it's the other issue? The fact that they have biases there other something don't understand it but that they don't want it to be uh true you know they're well, engaged in wishful thinking mitch you know all right i think i can even connect them because i think if they were brighter then they would see the morality and the reason ah, um, in point. in overcoming their personal biases that's a good <laughs> so, well so well maybe they're just there to you know at, they're uh, they're just not as prescient. They they see part. They see the they see the flag, but they don't see the finish line. You know, they they know it's a race. They get it. They understand it's a race, but they don't really understand what's the finish line. What I mean by that is that they haven't fully investigated the consequences. They have come to conclusions that are not necessarily true. Like you said, um, fatalism. So. This is a common, you know, uh, a common scenario that we've come across, right? Um, you, you're talking to someone about the issue of free will. You're arguing for determinism, and suddenly the listener becomes fatalistic. They say, "Well, oh no, if this is true, is life still meaningful? Should I do anything? Should I just kill myself?" I mean, <laughs> just playing devil's advocate. How would you counter that, George? Yeah. Um, well, again, like with, with, with fatalism, that's a bit more complex. In other words, you have to explain to them, uh, wait a minute, fatalism very strongly implies that we know the future before it happens. So in other words, like we have to explain to them, it's the fact that we don't know what's going to happen in the future that we'd better prepare for that test instead of just like, you know, say, well, it's fated that I'll do better or worse and it's not up to me. So like, you know, I think that, that's somewhat complicated. What's, what's a bit less complicated is, for example, if you tell people that, you know, like whenever, when this world gets that nobody has a free will, it will be logically impossible for one person, for any person to be angry at either another person or at themselves. You know, because well, like basically, 
you know, and that's not complicated. In other words, in terms of the implications, why this is important. But, you know, it, it, to me, it's very straightforward. In other words, like, if a person doesn't have free will, you can't blame the person for anything. So you can't, you know, by extension, very direct extension, blame them, become angry with them for what they weren't in control of. Uh, but again, like, you know, a lot of people you know, who get this, that, that we don't have a free will, they're not able to make that, that very logical, direct, um, you know, extension. And George, I want to jump in here because for some people, they might get their whole meaning of life. That The meaning of their life might be to blame people and hate them and be angry at them. And so in that case, if we take that away from them by telling them that nobody's fundamentally to blame, well, then we do deprive them of their meaning of life. Actually, I, Chandler, I think for more people... It's not about blaming people, it's about winning. We are like raised to be so competitive, whether it's siblings or our friends, we're, we're raised to try to be, to try to defeat our adversaries who are our peers, who are our, you know, people around us. And so like for those of us who have succeeded, who get to positions unfortunately of power and influence and all and you know, all that stuff, for them to, to, to acknowledge and admit, oh my God, this was just luck. You know, I'm not really any fundamentally any better. I'm just a little, you know, more lucky. That is a very, that's a powerful blow to their very conditioned ego. You know, it's like, so yeah, it, it's very difficult in that sense. You're right, George. There's this idea of competition that drives everything. For, for a lot of people, it's that way with sports. And, you know, my mom often complains about when people turn music into a competition. But people are so competitive, but the very idea of taking pride or, feel, or, or feeling like a failure or a loser, um, depending on how you do, that requires the belief that it was up to you. It requires free will belief. So we're saying competition will go down without this free will belief. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Mitch, what do you think? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement. I am, um, so let's, okay, so let's link, link this back to the uh, original um, topic for a moment. Okay, so, so we're saying free will, this issue, as uh, George remarked, it's a second grade level issue. In, in other words, it shouldn't be too, um, it's an approachable topic, it's an important topic, and we should be optimistic in the sense that people with the right influences um, will come to that understanding. However, it seems that some people, due to human biases or due to, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's really intelligence or not, for the, the issue is they can't figure out the consequences, the consequences of understanding the deterministic nature of reality. So what? Let's, let's let's talk about that. What are the consequences of looking at the of looking at reality in that way, in cause and effect, in terms of causality? Maybe you guys could give some personal insight or something. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Chandler. Yeah. Well, for one thing, the idea of feeling that you are either a winner or a loser is completely, you know, out the window because you realize it really wasn't up to you in any way where you were born, what you what you were taught, what you believed, whether you were whether you were attractive, whether whether you were single or married, you know, whatever. 
all these different things that people um, they tend to find they tend to look at these these systems of reward and punishment to measure the worth of people but I think that that worldview is based on an illusion it's that well you are a good person if you make lots of money or if you drive a nice car but then as soon as we realize these things aren't up to us well then it means a restructuring of society it means changing old traditions and habits and well let me interject for one second so so Chandler it seems obvious to us why is it Daniel Dennett convinced why does Daniel Dennett a famous uh, philosopher new atheist famous writer okay why is he so afraid of a world where people recognize that free will is an illusion a world without free will why can't he come to the same conclusion you're coming to i think it might have to do with his fame and his success you know and selling lots of books and he because he's such a person that is by this world standards very successful that gives him a feeling of superiority that he may logically know it's all an illusion and it's a lie but he likes that feeling of being better than other people and i don't think he's willing to let that go so so you, in other words you think he does understand that the consequences he sometimes suggests or alludes to in his writings and in his speeches he gets that you know that's not true that if you give it a little bit more thought Actually, the only result is you become more compassionate, you become more logical about the world, you get purpose in life by solving problems, right? Purpose comes from, it's not some magical thing. Purpose is what purpose is. It was what you want it to be. If you want to paint and you get to paint, that's the purpose. You found something to do, something fulfilling to do. So certainly Daniel Dennett, I mean, we all agree he's intelligent enough to understand that, right? Yeah. Go, Wait a second. What are the consequences of this issue? Weigh it. Think about it. Get past the surface level apprehensions and go. Oh wait, it'll be a good thing. So right. once it, you get sorry, yeah. Go. If we start with the premise that Dennett is not very intelligent, because again, if he was, <laughs> get it, then then his fear, his fear has to be that oh my God, if the world knows that nobody has a free will, then everybody is going to be going around doing whatever they want. And just saying to them to everybody else, you can't blame me because I don't have free will. I I I would bet that he's afraid of that, and and so he hasn't thought it out. He hasn't thought out that wait a minute, we can't allow that to happen because we've got a society to run. We've got like you know, in other words, like. But, but, but how can he continue to say those things when, um, when there's strong intelligent opposition from people like Sam Harris, also a good friend of his who say the exact same things you're saying. So he has to be aware of those things because people have said it to him before. Well, Mitch, I mean, like, just moving this from academia a bit, I mean, like, because there's, for example, 50% of the American public, and these people, you know, they're working at jobs that I think require a certain level of responsibility, intelligence, you know, skill, ability. They, they believe in Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, and the Talking Serpent, they prefer that to evolution. So, like, there's something completely bizarrely insane going on with people. At least, you know, certainly here in the United States. But so, so, like, you know, how, how do you explain that? You know, how do you explain this, like, this complete, like, you know, um, 
inability to, to appreciate monumental, irrefutable evidence, you know, for evolution, for the fact that the, the universe has been here at least billions of years. I mean, it's, you know, um, I, again, I, I guess like, you know, people who are less intelligent are more prone to have their biases, you know, basically hijack their reasoning. Well, that's, this is, that's, well, well, this is the, oh, that's a very good, that's well said, actually. Well, but this is, this is exactly the issue that we're discussing, right? Is it a matter of bias or is it a lack of intelligence? Again, but like, I think I would answer both. In other words, like both. the more intelligent a person is, I think the, the more able that person would be to overcome their personal biases. That's actually like, you know, to be a scientist is to like be able to do that, to like to just like base one's conclusions on objective evidence rather than what we want to believe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is very interesting because I, I think, yeah, it is is both. But I would say that I lean more towards the idea that people, a lot of people that don't act very intelligent are actually highly intelligent but they have emotional biases towards thinking a certain way and what it will cost them personally if they admit a certain thing to themselves or others so i think that's the kind of thing we're dealing with but chandler i'm not sure we could call them highly intelligent because i think a highly intelligent person might you know reach the conclusion that yeah we might suffer individually you know, let's say we're, we're earning, you know, several hundred million dollars a year, you know, under a no free will paradigm, we may not be able to, like, justify that much. But I think a highly intelligent person would, you know, very strongly and clearly understand that the world in general, for everyone as well as for the person, would be so much more pleasant, so much more wonderful, you know, without this belief in free will. Yeah. I mean, it does seem to me that if they truly, yeah, I think you're right, George, because if they truly understood the implications of it and that without blame, there can't be all this war and suicide based on depression and that it will lead to a better world, you would think if they understood that, then not only would that, I mean, that would help calm their emotions. That would help dispel their fears that they might have, allowing them to overcome them. Absolutely. Now, Mitch, all right, so like a lot of times you advocate for the least amount of punishment necessary or perhaps even for no punishment. But um, like with this issue of like, for example, this, I think we can, you know, we understand that the belief in free will creates a lot of harm, a lot of suffering. You know, when people blame each other and then there, there's vengeance and revenge and all. So, like, would it, would it seem justified to, for example, if we needed to shame, to, you know, to shame these, these, you know, charlatans, these, these pseudo-intellectuals into admitting that there's no free will, would that be the lesser of two evils? Or, 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 or do, you, do you think we should, like, maintain the high road of, of, like, just basically not blaming them for being so immature, so unintelligent? And just like find ways of reaching them that, that don't involve any kind of like, you know, I think, on their part. I think if we are going to do something, if something is worth doing, if people are worth it, if humankind is worth it, if we care about the propagation of humanity, 
then we must live to certain ideals. Because if we don't ascribe to ideals, then clearly, logically, we are not worthy of continuing. So, you, so yes, I always say take the high ground. Always take the high ground. What is the point of being deceptive or being immoral in one strategy? That seems to be that seems to defeat the purpose. No, I know, but for example, let's say let's say you know this this little country somewhere is threatening the United States with some nuclear bombs, right? So like you know, like threatening what what are we like three hundred and sixty million people or something? So like you know, we can like we can like basically terminate, we can kill let's say a hundred, one hundred and fifty of those people who have control of those bombs in order to save the hundred the. 300 million, whatever. I mean, like, can, can you see how that's kind of like an example of ideally the lesser of two evils? Or, I mean, would you advocate that, like, we shouldn't even kill those 100 because, like, you know, uh, killing people is, is not right, you know, in, uh, more fundamentally? Yeah, well, so, so, here's, the th so here's the thing. In so we have different interests in life. People, when I say we, I mean uh, people. There are different reasons for why we do things, right? Morality is a dogma. Morality always comes down to an argument from authority. Religious people say this is wrong because God says it's wrong. People who are not religious, they have to create a framework, whether they're deontologists, which I usually uh, would link myself to, or consequentialists, or they, they're interested in virtue ethics, whatever. You have to create some framework. At some point, it's axiomatic. You just say something. You say, we should. I know pain and suffering is horrible. Therefore, that's my, that's my starting point for what bad is. I know it's the most insufferable thing in the world. It's a bad thing. So all bad things are linked to pain and suffering. We move in that direction, it's bad. We move away from it, it's good. So, so, so uh, yeah, getting back on track here. If, if I want to enlighten people to this topic, if I want to convince those people who are biased or, as George has posited, perhaps not as intelligent as they seem, the strategy that I want to employ is persuasion niceness positivity i want to empower them i don't want them to sh i don't want to shame people i want to uh convert them i want to open their eyes and i want them to help champion this cause that is that's that's my desire and i think that is an idealistic way for people to live their lives moving in that positive direction away from pain and suffering and if we're not doing that, if at any time we are not doing that, we're engaged in behavior that's not there, then we lose all meaning. I agree with what Mitch was saying there because, see, here's the deal. I certainly don't feel that it would be right to shame people. Yeah, because even if it, it might accomplish some good, which I'm not, which I can't be sure of, I feel like to blame or shame people in any way and make them feel bad while it might get them to, it might change them in some ways, I feel that in doing so, I would be acting like a free will believer, and that would be dishonest or something, if that makes sense. All right, but again, we have this, this issue of, like, the lesser of two evils. In other words, like, for example, I just went through cataract surgery. It was relatively painless. I was like, you know, it was really, you know, amazing. But let's say it would have been open-heart surgery, where it's like, you know, I have something wrong with my heart or something, and they have to cut me open, a pretty big incision in my freaking chest, you know? And that's, that's going to be, a, that, that's got to be painful, you know? Like, then, you know, I'm on morphine, all this stuff. So in other words, like, this whole procedure, you know, basically creates, you know, is, is, is afflicting me. I mean, cutting me open and all, 
in order to save my life, in order to give me actually more pleasure in the future and all. So if we apply this principle, I mean, you know, in other words, like we might take the high road and not shame people, but then it might take, let's say, 75 years for people to get this. And then like, let it take 75 years. But yeah, but then, then, then we're not really concerned with the suffering of people. We're concerned with this, this amorphous principle of morality that you just, you know, suggested is, is difficult to, to actually even describe. Yeah, okay, so, okay, so, I mean, I, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but, you know, it is kind of, so, we're, so for any listeners who are there, the, the issue here is we're talking, it's a matter of strategy now. So if people can't overcome their biases or if they're not intelligent enough to um, honestly investigate free will and come to the conclusion that determinism is true and free will is an illusion or free will is incoherent, is shaming some of these more public figures at least, is that the lesser of two evils? Is that um, certainly a negative tactic, but maybe a very strategic and effective strategy? So my stance on this is... Um, you know, I, I am not a consequentialist. You know, it's like the point is to make people better. And we should always try our best not to do negative things. So just by admitting that there is another option, that we don't have to shame them, clearly we shouldn't. It's that simple to me. All right. I, I, I definitely know. I, I believe in like, you know, my, you know, in other words, like if, if I can save a lot of people from suffering by inflicting just a little pain on even those people, I would prefer to do that for, for their benefit. You know, this, yeah, this, yeah, we're, we're, we're over 30 minutes, but you know what, guys? I think we might want to cover this more in depth in a future podcast. Sounds good. Okay, Mitch, you want to end it? You want to? Yeah, so this was uh, Free Will, Science, and Religion with uh, George Ortega, Chandler Clubs, and Mitch J. We talked about various connections between free will and intelligence. And we came up with some optimistic conclusions. Um, so you should be optimistic. You guys can figure this out. And it's an important issue. And it's worth investigating.